Wednesday night again, we're carrying on with the book of Deuteronomy. It's January 4th, and I've just, uh, we opened up with the quiz before we started recording, and uh, we've gotten through the first five of the commandments. Everybody's doing a wonderful job. And uh, so we get, so we, we're at that, what I say is a transitional, the first four dealing, our dealing with God, those commandments deal directly with God. So have no other God before me, make no graven image, do not take the Lord's name in vain, and um, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And then when you get to the honor your father and mother, it's very important that we understand we learn about our Heavenly Father through our parents at a very early age. We should. Not, not everybody has that experience, but that's the way we should be. Every Christian family should be, should be singing hymns and quoting Scripture to their child when they're still in the womb. So at that transitional part of you're, you're being uh, taught about God in heaven, and then you're also being taught uh, how to treat your neighbors as yourself. You know, so, so now we're on the sixth commandment, which is, thou shalt not murder, kill, and then thou shalt not Commit adultery. All right, that's seven, right? And now, eight, thou shalt not steal. And number nine, thou shalt not bear false, false witness, which, which most people, a lot of people will say, thou shalt not lie. It's, thou shalt not bear false witness. Lying is definitely bearing false witness. But remember what happened to Jesus. He was falsely accused. That's bearing false witness. When you bring somebody down, lie about somebody, bring them down, that's bearing false witness. And then the last is, number 10, thou shalt not covet. And it's a whole list of things that is, that is there in our Bibles that gives us examples of what we might covet. And... That's dealing with, so the two great, greatest commandments that Jesus told was to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So through so the Ten Commandments, those two take care of the ten. <clears throat> but yet the nation of Israel ended up with 613 laws. All they needed was those ten. All right, so again, getting back to that transitional uh, commandment, honor your father and your mother. And so we, so we got over to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to read uh, one, starting with one. Now these are the commandments, the, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, 
which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Now, of course, you know, that, that commandment of honor your mother, your mother and father is the first commandment with a promise that if you do that, that you'll have, you'll have uh, extended days here on this earth. You, you will live longer. Well, if they obey all of these, not just the Ten Commandments, but everything that's in the Word of God, when we obey, like if they would have obeyed, they would have had long days in that land that was promised to them. We, if we obey today, we will live a good and prosperous long life on this earth, fulfilling the things that we were put here to do. Unfortunately, even though we know better, we don't do better. Like, like Adam, he ate from the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. He knew what was good, he knew what was bad, and still chose to do bad like all of us do. We all tend to choose to do bad. And the law is set in place so that we see that we are doing bad. We're not measuring up. If, you, if, if we could be more like Jesus, all right, you're, 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 uh, you're, you're more like Jesus and you get to where you're really doing good, then you, there's really no, you don't need a law. Let's say you got to, to where you're going to be just like Jesus. You're, you're that uh, far along in your Christian walk, and you're not going to do anything bad anymore because you're going to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and you're going to treat everybody the way you would want to be treated so you would never do anything wrong. There's, the law's not for you because you don't need it anymore. But there's all kinds of other people out there that don't want to live that way, that aren't Christian people, and the laws are for them. And the laws are for us to get to the point. It, I heard something that I was reading, talking about a sign, and it had an arrow pointing to a city and talking about the guy running over and climbing up on the sign and sitting on the sign. Like that's going to get him to that city. And what their point was is if you just sit on the law of God thinking it's going to get you to heaven, you're not going anywhere. It points you to something. And that's Jesus, and he's the only, one, only way. So you've got to get in the vehicle to go to the city that the sign's pointing to. Jesus is our vehicle to get to where we want to go. All right, think about when you teach a little one. When should you start? And, and, and what, are, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to talk about? What are you supposed to teach? And we, we've seen it. It's statutes and commandments and His Word, um, precepts. There's all kinds of ways you can say it. All right, where was I at? Uh, three. All right, hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. There are some other places throughout 
the book of Deuteronomy that's, that mentioned the land of milk and honey. I wrote them down. So you see it here first, and it just in Deuteronomy. In verse 3, you'll also see it in chapter 11, verse 9. Chapter 26, you'll see it in two different places, verses 9 and 15. Chapter 27, you'll see it in verse 3. And in 31, you'll see it in verse 20. So it's throughout the book of Deuteronomy, that land of milk and honey. That's where you are going to be provided with all the things you need. When we remember last week, and I said, they, are, they were to obey all of these things so that when they go into the promised land, and how I want you to think about your Christian walk, the day that you are born again, you go down into the Jordan, and that's, the, that's uh, a type of dying, going under the water, going down into the Jordan, and then you come up on the other side into the promised land, that's your resurrection. Now, Romans 6 says that if we believe on Jesus, Jesus' experience becomes our experience. And we are baptized into His death, and then we are raised in His resurrection. And that's what Moses is preparing the people to do, is to go into the promised land. Moses represents the law, and the law is pointing us in that direction of the promised land. Our promised land today is having a born-again experience and going into the kingdom of God and then living your Christian life. So there's in, in this kingdom of God that you go into, there's going to be all kinds of milk and honey that will provide all your needs. God's given us all kinds of promises. Four, here, again, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. There's that greatest commandment. It's way back here in Deuteronomy. Jesus tells the people who ask him, what's the greatest commandment? And he mentions this. He quotes out of Deuteronomy. Remember, Jesus was tempted by the devil, what was it, three times in the desert? He was in the wilderness. He, he hadn't eaten in 40 days. And he was tempted. And every time he was tempted, he came back with, for it is written, and each time was out of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a very special book. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. I know this sounds familiar because we read it last week. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt shalt talk of them when thou, thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thy thou Rises up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. So, over in, when, teach, them, teach them to your children, is what it says. So when you're in your house, you teach. When you decide to go somewhere, you teach on the way there. 
It, it, it covers just about everything. When you, when you go to bed at night, when you get up in the morning, you're always thinking about teaching the ways of God. Now over in Isaiah chapter 28, I'm going to read two verses. And this is verses 9 and 10. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And the answer is, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. That's the little tiny baby. That's who you teach knowledge and help to understand doctrine. Start early. Then it says, for precept must be upon precept. And then it repeats, precept upon precept. Line upon line. Then it says, line upon line again. Here a little and there a little. And so there's different ways you can teach. You can teach about topics, precepts, and you can teach the way I like to do most of the time is line by line, word by word. Sometimes I point out the, the significance of letters. <clears throat> you know, people ask me, in new, in new versions of the Bible, how far do you have to go to find the first mess up? And these new, because I'm always talking about, I love the King James, and the King James is good, but the newer versions have got so many mistakes. And, they, and, and people ask, well, how far do you have to go before you find the first mistake? Verse number one. Verse number one. And they take one, they add one letter. They add an S to heaven. Now, you open up your King James Bible and you, you, you count the number of letters in the first verse of the Bible and you count the number of letters in the last verse of the Bible exactly the same. If you count the consonants in both verses, first verse of the Bible, last verse of the Bible, exactly the same. But if you get, grab a hold of any new translation, that, you can just throw that out because they added one letter. So that's in Isaiah 28. <clears throat> so we should know how to answer every person, every buddy that might have an answer for us. We, <laughs> we have so many denominations, and different denominations will argue over different things in the Bible. And the devil is sitting over there laughing like crazy. He loves it. Now, we can see, and, and if you remember this past Sunday, how I was talking about how concerned I am about teaching proper doctrine in the Bible. It's a very serious thing. And when the, when the early church started, there was all kinds of false stuff that was happening right away. And the Jewish people were trying to get Gentiles to be circumcised. So they were trying to mix Judaism in with this new dispensation of grace. And they finally came together, and here's another little short list of commandments. Do you know the four commandments for Gentile converts? You know them? Anybody know them? Think, just think for a minute. 
And where is it at? It's in Acts, and it's in 15, it's all in one verse. So they were, they were fighting over stuff. They were fighting over, should, should this Gentile be circumcised? Should they keep the feast days? Should they do this, that, and the other? And they finally got together as a group, and they had a council, and they said, what do we tell new converts that they, thou shalt not, or you can do, what, you know, what do we tell them? And they only come up with four things. Four things. And we, can, we need to remember this. What is that? Very good. That was the first one. Yep. So, so she said, in, in case you can't hear on the CD and podcast, she said, abstain from meats offered to idols. And then she said, abstain from blood. And then the third one, abstain from things strangled. Now, none of these seem to be all that hard. I mean, you don't have to convince me to not drink blood. All right, now, you just, you cannot drink blood. I'm like, oh, man. (sighs) Abstain from things strangled. That means, you know, if you killed something and you strangled it, and the blood would, would be trapped inside, and you would be eating blood. So you're supposed to drain the blood, hang the deer up, let it drain out, and then, well, you've you got to get to it pretty quick and, uh, you know, get it cut up. Drain the blood. Um, and then the last one was abstain from fornication. Now that one registers with everybody, but the other three, all right, Lois, you, you're coming to our church now, and you want to know, I mean, I, I need to know, what should I not do? And, all right, abstain from meats offered to idols. And uh, don't be drinking blood, you vampire you. Don't be doing that. No more. And abstain from things strangled. So what, why did they say those things? Because, I think you know, all of the idol worship that was going on, all of the pagan religions, that was part of their services. They offered meat to whatever god they were worshiping. And then if they had leftover, they would take it to the market to sell it for a reduced price. And that's when Paul was telling us, you know, when we were, in, we were studying Romans in Sunday school a while back, you know, if a weaker brother comes to eat with you and he finds out that you went down to the market and you bought some of that meat that was on special, and he finds out it was, it was set aside for Astroth, and, and they, were, they used to worship in that. They used to be in that, and they came out of that into Christianity. And to you, you're a strong Christian. You know that meat offered to idols. So people will say, well, he was... He, you can't do that, Paul, because it says right here you're not supposed to. It's actually offered, and you participate in the, that whole thing, the ceremony. Not that that meat was set aside for it, and then they didn't use it, and they put it at the meat market. You know that that idol that they were worshiping is nothing. It's fake. So you go take advantage of some really good price on this meat, and you're good with it. But if somebody had come out of that, and they, 
convicted that I shouldn't do that, you've got to be aware of that. And don't let them go against their conscience. Because if you think it's sin, even though it's really not, but you think it is and you do it, then you, you, you're, you're guilty. And, of course, they used to, a lot of pagan religions, they drank blood. And they also did a lot of strangling of animals, evidently, in their, in their ceremonies. And then fornication, almost all of the pagan temples had temple prostitutes. It just helps with numbers, attendance. That's just the way to bring weak people in, and yeah, that's a done deal. All right, so those four things is what they said. Now, think about all the other things that we fight about amongst denominations that they could have had in there. I mean, I'm thinking of all kinds of stuff. It's not here. It's not in the Bible. It's that, that was their opportunity to put in so many things that this new convert... So, you, you, do you see mercy and grace and forgiveness? I mean, you just see new, the New Testament... Uh, being in the dispensation of grace is so different than the dispensation of law. And we are too legalistic in churches today. We are too ritual. You know, we, 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 we get into ritualism and those types of things. We have to be, we have to be careful of all that stuff. Um, all of the Bible is needed. The law is there because you're supposed to be bringing people in from outside. They're not saved. We're supposed to be bringing them, dragging them in. And they need to hear the law, that they don't measure up to it. And then they need to understand that, then there's all kinds of really good people who feel perfectly good coming into a church and sitting down because they're just a great person, just awesome. They need to understand that they're depending on their self-righteousness and they think they're good with God, they need to understand that they're just as lost as the person who's ashamed to come in here. Just as lost. It's, it's like setting up a stepladder. A little three-footer here, and a six-footer here, and then like a 12-footer right there. And you climb up to the top and you say, see how much closer to heaven I am than you. That's all you're doing. God's up there laughing like, you're still a long, long ways away. Nice try. So I thought that would be something, you know, commandments. That the four commandments that were introduced to new converts. And it had to do with idol worship. Remember what I read, was it this past Sunday? Don't do anything with even the appearance of evil. You know, we have to be very careful that there, there may be things that we know aren't sin, but the sinful world perverts it, and we should not even, we need to be careful not to even show the appearance of what might, the world might think is evil, even though we know it's okay. And there's, that's just one example with Paul buying the meat, but you're supposed to be more loving towards your weaker brothers and sisters in the Lord and not do things in front of them that might get them back into something that was sinful. And you can think of all kinds of things that um, 
you can, you can re uh, line that up with. All right, so now I got uh, Adrian Rogers here. I got his uh, Legacy Bible, and I just want to read something. So we're talking about honor father and mother, and we're talking about little tiny children even before they're born and right after they're born, and that's when you teach them. And if you, if you look at what's happening in our society today, in America, we have, and we've talked about a lot here in this church, how our public school systems is a place that's very dangerous for our kids nowadays because one of their goals, and many teachers don't even know it's happening, but they're trying to separate the child from the parents. And the, our former governor from a long time ago who, who ran again against our governor that we have now, he came out and actually said what most of them believe, that the parents don't know any better and this up, should be up to the government schools to make the decisions on what the kids are taught, which I'm glad he said it because he lost, and he should have lost, and I think he would have won if he hadn't made that very stupid mistake. And um, by the way, our, our governor right now, there's a national organization that came to Virginia, and they got churches involved in Virginia. They went to churches and started asking people who were in the church we need to make a difference in this state because bad things are happening as far as election integrity and we need people to be poll watchers and actually work polls and there was a bunch of people over a big area that volunteered and learned how to be poll watchers, learned how to be uh, election officials. Very few of them did that. And just out of the, I can't remember how many it was, it might have been 30,000. I can't remember the numbers now. But those people that are church-going people got involved. And they found during that election for our governor last year uh, with Yunkin and Terry, is it McAuliffe? They found over 5% of the vote that was put in, that was actually cast, was fraudulent and was able to kick it out. They even found a person who was registered to vote in like 26 different places. So, 5%? Uh, yeah. You, you, I mean, some of these races are won with 1% of the vote, 2% of the vote. And I don't know what Youngkin actually won because I've heard different percentages. And one of them was 1.5%, but then there was another one that was much higher. But if, if those 5% was not taken out, if only a portion of that was against him, he would have lost. So Christians need to get involved. Need to get involved. You know, we had that guy came here a while back, you know, and had let him speak here, and he was with uh, one, of, one of the parties, and it was supposed to be a regist registration drive, he, he, called, he got in touch with every single church in Montgomery County, hundreds and hundreds of them, and we were the only one that let him come speak. The only one. 
because churches are too afraid to get involved. A lot of churches probably wouldn't want to be involved with the Pregnancy Resource Center because they would be afraid of certain members of their church not liking that. <clears throat> so the attack on the fifth commandment, you're seeing it all over the place. Honor your father and your mother. And our government is trying to destroy that. They're saying you should not respect your, your, your mother and your father. You actually need to keep this quiet from them. And they're, they're, going, to, they're going to hold you back. Or we're, going to, we're going to make things better for you and all that. They're, they're lying. So this was Adrian Rogers uh, talking about what we just read out of Deuteronomy 6. He says, the devil levels his most fiery darts at the home because the devil knows that if he can destroy the lives of the children, he can dominate the world. Well, that's, what, that's what's behind a lot of this indoctrination of young people because they know when they get to a certain age, if they can get them... We've just read out of our Bibles when we're supposed to teach good Christian values to ch children, very, very young. And our enemy knows that those little minds can be, you know, worked. Uh, I think he even has a description in here of uh, a, a, a sapling tree. You can make it do what you want it to do. You can bend it, turn it, it can grow in a spiral because it's flexible and young and tender but you go out to a big old oak tree that's been there for several years and you try to get it, it's, it's, you're not doing anything to that thing. You're not making it do something different. So we got to remember that. And God knows that. It's why he inspired Moses to tell fathers to teach their children. God intends that the first school, the first seminary, the first university is to be the home, with the father as the prime professor and president. I want to remind you that God has ordained that the husband is to be the head of the family, and most of our men have uh, kind of uh, messed up on that responsibility. The father is the one who is to give stability and leadership and character and strength to the family. But today's fathers are dropouts, more interested in things like business, sports, sex, pleasure, televisions, and computers than they are in being the fathers that God has commanded them to be. And we have so many misdirected mothers as well. Mothers are being pushed out of the home. Millions of children are left to themselves or put in daycare centers and they lack the nurture that God intended for them to have. We are reaping the bitter results. Let's talk about the students in the University of Life. Who are they? The students are children. That's what we just read out of Deuteronomy 6. And when, when should they be enrolled? At a very early age. Now why should we start with little children? Uh, he, said, he says for three reasons. First, childhood is the time of correction. 
That's where he talks about the little twig being easily uh, bent and shaped however you want. And then he says, try to bend the trunk of a mighty oak and you will have a different task on your hands. You can take a little child and begin to train up that child in the way that he should go. That would make a good Bible verse. As if you are directing a little stream of water, you can direct the life of that child. You know, I, I have quoted, read that verse to, uh, to train up a child in the way she should go and had mo young mothers get offended because I said train. And they're like, you train a dog, you don't train little kids. I'm like, really? Okay. So that explains the way your little one's acting. Okay. <clears throat> so the, the dogs are, and I've met them, the dogs are way better behaved than the kids. And I said that at Pastor Jay's church one time. He's like, <clears throat> and then he laughed like crazy later. He's like, you were right, but I didn't want her to hear that. You'll run all my people off. I, 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 yeah, he had, to, he had to stop me a lot of times. Um, second, childhood is the time of communication. It is amazing how small children can learn. God has given that child a curiosity factor. He's given that child a memory factor. It, it, this is funny. He, he said... Uh, um, they have good memory. We, the older people, have good forgettery. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that word before. That's pretty good. We have good forgettery. They have good memory. And God has given that child a humility factor and a trust factor. Put together all those factors and you can see why childhood is the time of not just communication, but also conversion. So he says that, you know, you should really um, don't think a child is too young to understand biblical things. And if they want to meet Jesus, take them to Jesus, no matter what age. Every child is going to be different. And he says... A little child doesn't need to be a professional at sin before he can be saved. Statistics tell us that more than 75% of all people who are saved come to Jesus before the age of 14. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, was saved at the age of 11. Jonathan Edwards at 8. Polycarp, a church father, at 9 and he was burned at the stake at 90 because he refused to turn his back on the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon was saved at, he says 12, I thought it was 14 or 15. Um, and, and if, you, if uh, Lois reads that book, All of Grace, the very beginning of it, don't, don't skip over it. And that's the story of uh, Charles Spurgeon's salvation experience. And... He showed up at a church he wasn't even supposed to go to because of a snowstorm. It's an awesome story, so read that. And um, so Spurgeon, and he testified that he would have been saved at a much earlier age had somebody shown him how to trust in Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. So the curriculum, what's the curriculum for this university of life? And it is simply the Word of God. 
teach the Bible, just the Bible. You don't really need, it's not bad to have helps. I got a whole bunch of them. But don't forget the Bible. Read that first. You know, kids, you have workbooks for them, that's all fine. But don't not read the Bible and read the King James Bible. Read it to them. People say, well, that's too hard. No, it's not. It's not too hard for a little kid. And they will, their vocabulary will excel if they learn King James Bible. And even get to where you can explain why the ye... You know, Moses, uh, what we were reading, he, he was, he was, when he said, thou teach them when you get up, thou, when you... you know, it, 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 was, it was very personal, talking to a person. You see, ye, that's each, it's for every, each and every person, all of you. So, so ye is just, it's, uh, it's singular, plural. It's, it's singular, but plural. It's for everybody, but each, each and every person. Thou, you get real personal. You're, you're, you're talking to one person, and... That's not to say it's not for us, but he, you know, because it is for us. But if you take notice of the baptizest, with the S, and then baptizeth, you can see that within, you know, just a few verses of each other. Because the person is talking to the person that did the baptizing. So he's talking to John the Baptist, and the word might be baptizeth you know, with the S, S-T, baptizes, because it's second person. The S is the clue, second person. So if, so if there's any confusion on who is he actually saying, who is he talking to, those are clues, but you only get it in the King James. So then, later, it talks about baptizeth, and it's that person. Jesus is going to, because he's, he's talking to us, or talking to whoever he's writing to, and he's talking about what G, how Jesus is going to baptize. He baptizeth with the Holy Ghost because he's talking about Jesus who's not around at the time. That's third person, the T, the... So the King James Bible, you're not going to beat it as far as accuracy. Nowhere close. All the so-called improvements by man has only made it less accurate. And they'll, they'll argue with you that, oh, it's more accurate. We found more stuff, we, you know, all this. And, and what they have found that they think is new and improved and older, it's not. It's not even older. It's nowhere near old. It's all a big lie. And that's why we got all these new, new versions that are not as accurate. All right. I know we didn't get any further in Deuteronomy, but this is a new year. We've got a whole another year. And, you know, I, I wanted to go back and, and touch on some of these Ten Commandments and touch on uh, what we did out of Acts 15. But I think that's good enough for tonight. What do y'all think? You want more? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that each and every person who hears this will allow this message that has come from your holy scriptures, that it will, 
it will help each and every one of us to take a stand for what's right, and Father, to take every opportunity that we can you know, when we rise up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, when we're sitting in our house, when we are on our way down the road, that we take those opportunities to teach and to share your ways. Father, your ways are the best ways. They're so much higher than our ways. And I pray that we would be a people who understand that and that will know that when we obey your word, we will be able to do the things that you have uh, called us to do. Father, we will raise up um, new people who will come to you. And Father, just, we just need help with that. We ask that you would be with us and strengthen us and send your Holy Spirit to, to help us to understand and to convict hearts around us. And Father, that we will be um, bold in our speaking your word. And Father, we know that your word enlightens the soul. And Father, we know the Holy Spirit convicts the soul. And Father, we want to make sure everybody understands that faith in your Son will save the soul. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.